Have you ever gone down a path that led you to a place you didn't want to be? That's something we're going to talk about this morning. We were moving back to Ohio. We spent four years in Mississippi. We, my wife and I had just had our oldest. He was about 10 months old and wanted to be a little closer to family. So we were in the process of moving back. And in the couple days that it took us to move back, I had the moving truck, 18-foot moving truck, fully loaded with a trailer behind it, with a car on the trailer. I struggled to parallel park a two-door Honda Civic, uh, so I figured, why not? I can do this. And my wife had the Equinox that was also loaded with, or no, we didn't have the Equinox at the time, excuse me. We had another two-door Honda Civic, which was also loaded with stuff. So I had the two cats that I inherited via marriage uh, with me, as Brooke had the car full and, and our oldest son with her. And I never wanted the cats. They were part of the or worse part of our vows. Uh, but there they, there they were. And uh, for those of you who love cats, we can still be friends. But one of the cats loved me, and one of the cats hated me. And the cat that hated me was, of course, my wife Brooklyn's favorite cat. And we would get these cats into these carriers, and we had to buy, like, these were RVs for pets. These carriers, it was crazy how, how nice these carriers were, but cats don't like to be contained. And, and we had them in these nice carriers that were more comfortable than the moving truck seat that I was having to sit on as I drove. And from Vicksburg, Mississippi, all the way till we hit the Ohio border, I heard that cat, that stupid cat, meow the entire way. I would turn up the radio. It would look at me and meow louder. It was just a battle of the wills. And we were hit, I hit Ohio, and we were running late. And, and I called my wife, and I'm like, you just take the cats, drop them off, and, and let's go move in to where we're going to be going. But, but just go take the cats and drop them off. She's like, all right, we'll meet. We were about two hours away from our destination. So she went up ahead. She got off at the exit in Columbus, Ohio. She said, take the first, take the first road on your right that's Target parking lot. I'll meet you there. Hop out, and you can load the cats. I said, great. I get off at the exit. I take the first right. All of a sudden, I'm like, well, this isn't like any target I've ever seen before. As I pull up to a gate with armed security. And an 18-foot moving truck with a trailer and a car attached to it. And I rolled down the window and they said, why are you at the FedEx sorting facility? I said, I I'm looking for target. Like, it's over there. I'm like, well... How do I get over there? They said, you need to back up. I just started laughing. I said, there's not a chance. That's going to work. They said, why? I said, you see the car that's on the trailer? I struggle to park that thing. There is no way I'm going to be able to reverse this with concrete sides on either side of me out. I looked at the guy. I said, you're more than welcome to come in and reverse it if you want. And I'll just follow along. I said, hold on a minute. Got on the radio. All right, we'll open the gate. It's like, do not reverse. Do not stop. Continue going until you hit the exit. 
said, all right. So I went in, and I, I pull in, and all of a sudden, the cat just starts meowing, like right in my ear, and it will not stop. And we hit the first stop sign, and there's another gate. And the guard's kind of looking at me, and that stupid cat would not shut up. It's just going on in my ear over and over and over again. And I'm looking at it, and I'm looking. He's like, is there something wrong, sir? I'm like, yes, there's something wrong. I have these cats that I never wanted in my entire life, and I'm just trying to get to Target. And he started laughing. He started laughing at me. <laughs> he goes, isn't marriage great? Keep going. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> We keep going, finally let me out, make it to Target. I just look at my wife. She looks at me and she says, what? I said, first right? I'm like, yeah, it's the first right. I'm like, it's the second right. It's the second right. I found myself in a place I didn't want to be with cats that I never asked for and never wanted. They somehow made the whole story more annoying. And if you ever find yourself there on a journey, on a path, in a place that you do not want to be, you know how frustrating it is. And you know what it's like to have people alongside of you. You know what it's like to have other things that just come and they annoy you and they frustrate you. And it seems like everything is just going wrong. And sometimes we find ourselves there in little circumstances, in little situations, like moving trucks with trailers in a FedEx sorting facility. But sometimes we find ourselves there in really big ways in our lives. And if we look around, we're like, wait a minute. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want. How has this become my life? How has this become my reality? How has this become my normal? And if you find yourself there today, I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't lose hope. We're going to finish our look at some of the parables that Jesus told today with a parable called the prodigal son. You're probably familiar with it. Even if following Jesus isn't a priority for your life, even if church isn't something you're regularly a part of. We are so glad that you're here. Welcome to Lakeside. My name is Brian and I'm part of the team. Thanks for joining us today. If you have your phones or your tablets, you can follow along with us in something called the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. Just type in Bible. It's the first one that pops up. And once you've installed it on your device, there's a feature within it called events. And there you'll either enable your locations or type in zip code Five four two zero one. For those of you who have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, Luke, the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter fifteen. We're going to start in verse eleven. For those of you joining us via the stream, thanks for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen below as we look at yet another story that Jesus told. This one called the Prodigal Son. We join now in Luke fifteen, starting in verses eleven and twelve. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So Jesus tells a story like all the stories that Jesus would told 
a story that could be readily identified with, a story that people understood from the outside, outset, a story that people could comprehend. There are two sons in this story, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son one day goes to his dad and he says, hey, dad, let's just fast forward to this whole you dying thing. Just give me my inheritance now. Just, just give me what's coming to me anyways. Right off the bat, what we see is we see the son, the younger son, who goes to his father and says, hey, let's just, let's just give me what I'm going to get anyways. What we see right off the bat, right off the bat, is someone who wants the benefit of a relationship without a relationship. They want the benefit of a relationship without a relationship. And there are a number of parallels that we're going to look at today between this story and impacts and things that can impact our life and our relationship with Jesus. And the first question that I want you to wrestle with is very simply this. Are you someone who wants the benefits of God without God being an active part in your life? Are you someone who wants the promise and the blessing and all of the wonderful things that God offers and God can provide are you someone who wants all the benefits and all the blessings of following God, but you don't really want God an active part of your life? That's the first question that we have to wrestle with. Is that true of us? We want all the great things that God can offer, but we don't want to actually follow after him. That's what the youngest son is telling the father in this story. I want the benefit and the blessing of being your son, but I don't really want a relationship with you. I want what you can offer me. But it's not about relationship. The story goes on. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He's, he takes what he's given. His father gives him his inheritance. He takes what he's given and he leaves. He leaves and he lives recklessly. He chases after whatever he desires. He chases after whatever he wants. This isn't a foreign concept. This isn't a foreign story. We see this unfold time and time and time again. And about 10 to 15 to 20 years later, Netflix or Hulu will make a documentary about it. And we'll all be like, oh, yeah, I remember what was going on there. But this isn't uncommon. We see it all the time in athletes, musicians, actors, celebrities. We see it in lottery winners. We see it in kids who inherit a lot of money. People who inherit a lot of money but have no discipline, they have no self-control, and they just chase after things, thinking that is going to be the path to fulfillment. And before you know it, they spend up all their money. We've glamorized in our society this idea of the rock star lifestyle, and that's exactly what unfolds here in the story that Jesus tells of the youngest son after he gets his inheritance. He goes out and he just chases whatever he desires. He lives recklessly. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. There's no discipline in his life. There is no forethought. There is no plan. And all of a sudden, the financial conditions of the economy changed. And as the financial conditions of the economy changed, his circumstances changed drastically. Drastically. 
This is why we encourage you as people that love and follow after God to follow God's plan for your finances. Because we recognize that there are a couple major stressful points in all of our lives. One of them is relationships. Another of them is financial things. And so just as God has given us a path and tools for how to navigate the relationships in our lives to bring us the most joy and fulfillment that we can possibly experience, he's also given us a plan to navigate our finances. And the reason that God has given us that plan isn't to stop us from experiencing joy or anything like that, but it is instead to make sure that we can remove those points of our lives that can become so stressful and instead see that which God entrusts us with as a blessing rather than a burden. So I want to encourage you, if this is an area in your life you struggle, we have people that will meet with you free of charge, and help you come up with a plan. And we recognize that every situation and every circumstance is different. So there isn't just one model. There isn't just one plan. There is God's plan, and we will talk to you about God's plan and help you understand how that can be applied in your circumstance and in your situation. But what's fascinating is we have this mindset in our culture about finances, like, oh, it's secretive, and, and we're not trying to pry. We're not trying to be in your business but we are trying to come alongside of you and help you with the tools and resources that you need so that money can be a blessing in your life and not a burden and that you can follow God's plan so that you don't find yourself in a situation like we have just discussed. So if that is something that you need, you need some help, you need some help formulating that plan or you have a plan, you're like, it wouldn't hurt to have somebody look it over and, and speak into it and help me out. We have people who are happy to do that. And by the way, I'm just going to tell you, these people wouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. The people that we're going to send your way to help you, they're not broke, all right? So they know what they're talking about. We're not going to send a bunch of broke people to be like, oh, yeah, you know, like, no. These are people who've applied it in their lives, who are following God's plan, and God's continuing to bless them. So I'm just telling you, they know what they're talking about. They're not going to tell you that. I'll tell you that. They know what they're talking about, so you can just be rest assured about that. And you don't have to be secretive about it. We don't want to be all up in your business. But at the same time, we want to help you formulate a plan. And we want to help you be successful with the resources that God has entrusted you with. Because it should be a blessing and not a burden. And when we follow God's plan, it enables us to experience that blessing. So it's there. It's out there. If that is something you need, you just send us an email. It will be confidential. We're not going to tell anybody and we'll hook you up with somebody who will walk that journey alongside of you. So the younger son goes to his dad, and he says, hey, I want the benefit of a relationship with you, but I don't want the relationship. The dad gives him the inheritance. He goes out. He lives like a rock star. He's broke. All of a sudden, there's a famine, and now work is really hard to come by. And then we rejoin the story in verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This is rock bottom. And remember, the audience that Jesus is primarily telling these stories to, this is a primarily a Jewish audience. And in their society, pigs are unclean. They don't get to experience the delicacy that is bacon. They, they, like, they don't. 
And so this idea of somebody who has to now go and work with an animal that is unclean in that society, Jesus is really hammering the point home. Just how rock bottom this is. To have come from a wealthy family to the place that he squandered all that he was given. So now he has to go find a job somewhere, and the only place he can find a job is out working with pigs. And he's not making much money, and he's hungry, and no one is helping him. He is hungry, and he is alone. And I just want to remind some of you who find yourself in a situation like this, where you are right now at rock bottom. You might not be hungry, you might not be alone, but you're going through something and you feel it. I just want to remind you that when you hit rock bottom, you really find out who your real friends are. And that's why, as a church, we are compelled. We are compelled to come alongside of people who are struggling. We are compelled to be to be expressions of Jesus to people in whatever circumstances they find themselves, but especially for those who are down and out. Because oftentimes what happens is when you hit rock bottom, when you find yourself down and out, that's when all the people that you thought were your circle, all the people that you thought you can count on, are gone. It's easy to be beside somebody when they're on the mountaintop. It's easy to be beside somebody when they're experiencing all the success in the world. And it's hard to be next to somebody in the valley. To be shoulder to shoulder with somebody when it seems like they can't buy a win and nothing is going their way. And I just want to encourage you, as hard as it is, you find out who your real friends are when you hit rock bottom. Talk is cheap. When you find yourself in a situation where you feel hungry and alone and all the friends that you thought you could count on aren't there, you realize just how important community is. And that is why it is our obligation to walk alongside each other to link arms and to celebrate and rejoice over the victories that we experience. But when the trouble comes, and it will, you know those people that were right beside you celebrating are right beside you to help you carry on. He doesn't have that. He's alone. He's isolated. He's hungry. But when he came to himself, verse 17 says, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. He remembers back to how good he had it. He remembers back. And maybe he never experienced it before in his life. We don't know. But I'm just going to tell you this. Sometimes we don't realize how good we have it until it's gone. Sometimes we don't realize how good we have it until it's gone. Sometimes that job that we've hated more often than we can even fathom, we look back and think, you know what? 
That was my favorite job. Sometimes the relationship that we just feel like it isn't worth the effort. It isn't worth the work. We lose and we look back and think, this is the most love I ever experienced. Most love I ever felt. Sometimes we don't realize how good we had it until it's gone. Here he comes to his senses. It's like, wait a minute. Back home. Back home. The people that work for my dad, their needs are met. They have food. He formulates a plan. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So this is the plan. I'm going to approach my dad, and I'm going to acknowledge to him my sin. I'm going to acknowledge to my father my sin. That I wanted the benefit of relationship without real relationship. That I took all that he gave me and I squandered it away. I lived recklessly. Made horrible decisions. I'm going to go acknowledge that. I'm going to ask him for a job. I'm going to ask him to hire me. I'm the one that wanted the benefit of relationship without relationship. So relationship's off the table. He came to his senses. And how do we see that he actually came to his relation? How do we see that he actually came to his senses? Because he owns what he's responsible for. And again, we live in a society that wants to be celebrated. Everybody wants to be celebrated. And when things go massively wrong and, and the choices that we make blow up in our face, we're quick to throw out, well, only God can judge me. Or I need grace. But there's no acknowledgement of what we've done. Here we see what authentic repentance looks like. It isn't a blame game. It's owning what we have done and recognizing there are consequences for it. He says, because of my actions, because of what I've done, the son relationship, it's severed. But hopefully I can still get a job. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He's going back to beg his dad for a job. His dad sees him on his way, and his dad doesn't stand by and wait. He runs after him. He runs after him, and he embraces his son. In the story, the father goes and he runs after the son. And if you find yourself today in a position where you, you feel like you've blown it and nobody loves you and God can't love you, I just want to remind you in the same way that this father in Jesus' story ran after the son. God, our father, will run to us. 
he will run to us. You're like, Brian, you don't understand. This is what I've done. This is what I've done. This is what I've done. And I'll tell you this. There is nothing you have done and nothing you can ever do to make it so your father doesn't love you. He runs after his son. By the way, I, some, sometimes people will ask, how do, you, how do you best handle a rebellious child? How do you best handle a rebellious child? And I, look, I, I'm very early in the game. All right, I'm very early in the game. So my advice to you is not something that, that, I, have, that I have personally experienced and personally lived, all right? But my advice to you, based on my understanding, would be to, to follow this model. And I, I would just tell you, run after them. Run after them. Don't chase them. The father didn't chase him. And until, until your kids get to a point where they realize the, the mess that they've made, I, I'm not saying don't love them. I'm not saying don't interact with them. Do show them the love of Jesus all you can. But at the same time, it's a very fine line and a very fine balance of enabling. And what we see in this story that Jesus told is we see that there is repentance. And I would encourage you, love your kids irregardless of whether or not they've repented. But the question of when's it time for me to play an active role in their life, when's it time for me to, to actively help them, every, every parent has to make that choice on their own. And I'm not saying we can write a definitive theology based on a story that Jesus told, but I do believe there is a principle here that can help in that. And it's, a, it's a very delicate balance, and I recognize every circumstance and every situation is different. But sometimes as a parent, the most loving thing you can do is to be watching and to let them hit bottom. And be ready to run. Be ready to run to allow them to fail in order for God to work in their heart and in their life. I'm not pretending that that's easy. And I'm not pretending to have all the answers, but I think there is biblical principle there and something that should be factored in when you have to make those hard decisions. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He acknowledges where he failed and the fact that there's consequences for his decisions. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is Found, and they began to celebrate. His father restores the relationship. His father restores the relationship. And our father desperately wants to restore our relationship with him through his son, Jesus, who told this story and what he would go on to do when he would die on the cross for our sin and pave the way for us to experience a restored relationship with the father that we rebelled against. And it would be fantastic if that is how the story of the prodigal son ends. 
but it's not. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So all the time, the younger brother took his inheritance, went off and lived recklessly. The older brother stayed home and faithfully worked for the family business. He was hard at work continuing to make money for his father. And he's out at work one day. And all of a sudden he hears the party. Yes, what's that all about? And he finds out that his brother is back. He's back. And that's the reason for the party. Okay, maybe if the, par- the, the prodigal son ended there, that's a good story. But it doesn't. But he was angry and refused to go in. He wants no part of it. He's angry and refuses to go in. And then verse 28 continues. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And what we see here are a couple things. First is this, the oldest son The relationship with the father is all about the benefit that the relationship brings. And the question we have to answer and the question we have to wrestle with is, is our relationship with God all about the benefit that our relationship with God brings? Is our relationship with God all about the fact that we feel like, God, because I have a relationship with you, you're going to bless me. And that's what motivates us. Do we treat God as though because we follow after him, he has to grant us anything and everything we ask for? And that's our expectation? Because here's the problem. When we view our relationship with God this way, we easily grow bitter. Dad, you haven't done enough for me, is what the oldest son said. And while we may not proclaim it, we start to think, God, you haven't done enough for me when we view our relationship with God this way. And not only do we grow bitter towards God, but we start to compare the best of ourselves against the worst in everybody else. The older brother's quick to let everybody know. Yeah, the younger brother, he squandered everything and he went out and slept with prostitutes. Let me highlight the worst choices and the worst decisions that you've made in your life 
while I highlight what I have faithfully done. And why this is so dangerous is because it makes us bitter at God. It impacts the way that we look at other people in an artificial way that brings us superiority in what we have done and how we view ourselves. And we make other people look even more inferior because of the worst choices and the worst decisions that they have made in their lives. And this can lead to a place... Well, there's so much bitterness that we don't celebrate repentance. We don't celebrate life change. And that's exactly what we see here. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. This, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And the father reminds the older brother the blessings he has been given and reminds him there's room. There's always room to celebrate the stories of Redemption. So we have to ask ourselves some questions. First is this. Why do you follow God? Why do you follow God? Is it because you feel you've entered some kind of contract that if you follow after him, he has to give you whatever you want? He has to do what you want him to do on your timetable in your way? Because if that's true, I'm sorry to tell you, you're not following after God. You're following after your own desires. Why do we follow after God? The next question we have to wrestle with is, do we want the blessings of God without God? Do we want the blessings of God in our life, but not God to be part of our life? Do we want God to bless us, but us be able to do whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want? The next question we have to wrestle with is this. Do we celebrate redemption? Do we celebrate redemption? Do we celebrate changed lives? Do we celebrate God's working in people and changing circumstances? question that I want to ask you this morning is are you ready are you ready to, to head home to be greeted by a father who knows about your mistakes who knows about your struggles who knows about your rejection And whose love for you has never changed. And if you're ready, then I'm going to pray. And I would invite you in your heart just to repeat after me. God, I have made some mistakes.
there are more regrets than I can deal with. I have sinned. I'm asking you to forgive. Through the sacrifice of your son Jesus on the cross for me, I know you paid the price for my sin. Come save me. I want to follow after you. I pray, God, for those who've already made that decision in their life. They would look at their hearts and they would look at their lives and they would ask the question, why do we follow? we still celebrate redemption. And I pray, God, that we would be people. We're always excited about the way that you work. So God, we ask that you would work in and through us as individuals and as Lakeside. And great things for your glory would be accomplished. Lives and eternities would be changed. For your glory, in your son Jesus, our Savior's name we pray.